Hey guys, welcome back to Logos-ish. We promised earlier this week that we would be releasing a special bonus episode, and we are so excited today to have Ben Christian, maker of A Game for Good Christians, on with us this evening. And we're going to talk a little bit about the game, about their new expansion, possibly about a theology of swearing and some other things in a minute. We'll see where the world and where our thoughts take us. In the meantime, though, how's everybody doing? Is everybody okay? We've got Garrett on with us. We've got Sarah on with us. So basically everybody who missed the episode from earlier this week. <laughs> How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. I'm busy as always, but just really great to uh, talk about some cool games. And uh, it's kind of nice to do uh, an episode kind of later in the day. It's kind of a different feel for it. Yeah, and uh, I'm doing some some fun stuff for my demon project, which is great. And studying some Old Testament stuff that I haven't gone into for a while. So living the dream. Which demon are you summoning? <laughs> Yeah, that's my question. Uh, one from Candler. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, but let's get into it today. I'm super excited about this guest. Ben, uh, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Um, why don't you tell us what A Game for Good Christians is? Sure. So A Game for Good Christians, uh, it got started at a birthday party, and we were playing the game that probably should never be mentioned in Christian circles, Cards Against Humanity. And uh, there was a pairing of two cards that just seemed very deeply spiritual and i mean i personally paused and said i could preach on this like i could i could preach this as a sermon and uh one of the other co-creators stopped and said imagine if we had a game that was just like cards against humanities but everything was taken from the bible and then everyone left the house and i was sitting there and i started writing cards and one of the other creators called me about an hour later and said i've been driving home and all i've been thinking about with this idea and i said stop talking the game is already starting to be made. And then from then on, like a bunch of us got together and just started putting it together. So it's like apples to apples and cards against humanities in the sense that there are what we call our canon cards. Those are cards that are directly from the canon of scripture, from the Bible. And there are also creed cards, which are like the question cards. So someone plays a question card and everyone else in the group has to play one of their answer cards. Um, and the funniest or the most spiritual or in some circles, the most blasphemous pairing of cards wins. Yeah, in our circle, it's pretty much always the most ridiculously blasphemous, gross pairing <laughs> we can come up with. Not always. We play to the person. We try to play to people's individual theologies, uh, <laughs> whoever the person who is uh, it is. And uh, we have played this game multiple times. It is a favorite among uh, our clergy gatherings, and we are grateful that you had that party and had this idea. Could you give us an example of what kind of stuff might appear on a creedal card or a scripture card, etc. Sure. So we, a question card might have, uh, the streets of heaven are actually paved with, and an answer could be, the number of times you've lusted, or your father being your grandfather and your uncle, or being liable for morons falling off your roof. Uh, but at the bottom of each card, it also contains the biblical passage that our our crazy reinterpretation of things has come from. So one of the, the joys of the game for us in creating it and in talking to others as they've played it has been the deep conversations that come as a result of someone seeing a card and saying, that's not in the Bible. And then someone breaks out a Bible or a cell phone and they turn to the passage 
And then a fight breaks out over, you know, what we wrote down on the card. Yeah, that happens multiple times every game. Often we'll play a guessing game beforehand where we sit there and we talk amongst ourselves about what we think the passage actually says or might say or, you know, what translation you guys were looking at when you picked out that particular thought. Yeah, it often, uh, it's in the creating of the various expansion decks and the main game, we often started with King James Version because, you know, why not? That's what we were raised on. And then from there, either NRSV is popular and NIV. Every once in a while, we'll go to the message just because you never know what it might say there. But, there's some uh, great stuff in the message. There's some great stuff in the message. Also things that have made us want to scream out loud, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Sounds like another expansion. So, you know. <laughs> we actually thought about that once and then we're like, ah, there's probably copyright problems if we go with that. You just need to rephrase it, you know, do something other than the message, like the note expansion. Notes. <laughs> right. The interesting paraphrase. Well, that's really fantastic. Well, let's let's talk about how you've expanded the game. Cause you know, one of the challenges I, I can imagine with this being, you know, the the Bible is certainly long and full of really often unique sometimes very strange, sometimes very morally problematic material. Uh, and often, of course, beautiful and wonderful material too. But, you know, I feel like one of the things that I'd worry about in making a game like this is getting to the end of the book and being like, what else do we do with all this? So for us, one of the big things was wanting to stay true to the text for lack of a better way of phrasing it. I'm like, we didn't want to just put our interpretation in some sort of a zany or funny or crazy way. Like we we wanted to go back to good hermeneutics more than anything else. So like we're, you know, seminary trained. And I mean, I personally have been preaching since I was 13. And so, and we, you know, we read Hebrew and we read Greek. So we go back to commentaries. We go back to, you know, the original text and try to capture what the original hearers were hearing. And at other times, we're also trying to capturing just wildly inappropriate misinterpretations of things that are just sort of in Christian culture. So uh, any card might make fun of, you know, where we are today in the world compared to what, you know, an original reader or hearer of the text would be saying. So like with our expansion decks, it's always an interesting exploration and trying to find something new to focus on. So some of our expansions are just open you know, free for all. So like our, why we can't have nice things or the um, things that make the baby Jesus cry deck. Those are both just a random hodgepodge. But um, our thematic ones are like the wisdom books. So we just spent a lot of time just diving into the wisdom texts. Um, another one was the blessings of God, a kinder and gentler expansion deck, uh, <laughs> where we found that as we look at the blessings in the Bible, often or very often they're also curses against other people. So we explored that concept where it's not just like, oh, good things happen to good people. It's also, and bad things happen to our enemies. Ha, that's also a blessing of God. We did do one expansion deck on, which we call the red letter deck, which were the words and actions of Jesus the Christ. And that one, that was difficult because, um, you know, we have our Christology and we want to be, you know, good doobies but there are also sometimes problematic passages in the New Testament and things that Jesus has said and done, at least, you know, in a, a simple reading. So we had like a card that was that time Jesus was a racist. 
when we're, you know, looking at his treatment of the, the Seraphinian woman. And so like, that's not an easy passage to just sort of gloss over if you're looking at it in depth. Or, you know, even, you know, what does salvation look like? If Jesus says, I've come, you know, not to be a priest, but, but a sword. What do we do with those passages that are really easy to sort of gloss over when preaching and or the Revised Common Lectionary might just ignore altogether. So, you know, our expansion decks, when they're thematic, are trying to tackle a topic or a concept that's across large swaths of the Bible. So like our newest one that's coming out is looking at apocalyptic literature, uh, which came from actually a player, like a player said, hey, you guys should do one on apocalyptic literature. And we said, sure, why not? Like we've, we've got time, <laughs> let's do that. So what particular parts of the apocalyptic literature that's available in the Bible are you focusing on for that? Because you know, the thing about Hebrew scripture is it's kind of scattered all over. And then of course in the New Testament, it's kind of scattered all over. We should probably take a minute to define apocalyptic literature too. So yeah, so. that would be a good idea. What, what did you guys use to narrow down that umbrella? Yeah, so we were focusing, you know, apocalypse in terms of to uncover, to reveal. And as I think one of my seminary profs back in the day said, you know, sort of the what's going on behind the scenes. So, you know, all the, the angels and the demons and the principalities and powers and, and high places and like the secrets of the cosmos that are being revealed either in an eschatological sense or just sort of day to day. Like, you know, what is what is happening when we pray, like that sort of thing. So for this deck, we actually expanded it beyond just the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament to also include the deuterocanonical texts. The person who recommended that we, you know, we tackle this, they mentioned that in particular. They're like, you know, there, a lot of our cards previously had only been taken from, you know, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. And it was pointed out to us that like, the umbrella of Christianity is so much larger than just Protestant faith. And you know, there are others who are under the umbrella who also look at Tobith and Judith and Maccabees and Susanna and Bell of the Dragon, like these other texts as being equally inspired by God. And also for our purposes, there's a lot of apocalyptic literature in the midst of that as well. So it was a, we added that for this deck, um, which for us was reading things that we hadn't read in depth before which was also very interesting and at various times going, yeah, why didn't that quote unquote make the cut? Like that, that deserves to be in there too. Dang my Protestant faith. Like maybe we should convert. I don't know. Talking about all of the, the different sort of expansions. And I had a blast when I played it with John and Sarah. Um, what was the, the favorite one that you made? Like what's your favorite uh, expansion or like Maybe it's even just the base game. Uh, do you have a favorite that, that you have over the others? Yes and no. I mean, the, yeah. So we made a, a Trump deck, and <laughs> that was, and which we might actually re-release in limited edition right now. It was painful to make because it was different than the other cards because we were looking at, you know, strictly looking at politics and the things that were coming out of his mouth. But we wanted to keep the biblical basis of it. So at the bottom of the cards, they it was showing how whatever was said or done was the exact opposite of the biblical record or like what we do or what some of us do and so it was a lot of fun to make that deck on one level but also just spiritually and mentally and emotionally draining so like that was sort of the most fun deck to make and when people were asking hey are you gonna make another one we are all were just like that takes so much out of us like it we 
we're dying on the inside. Like we're just trying to hold it together right now in the middle of a pandemic. Like what do you want from us people? Like apocalypse. Yeah. And it's really, I love the whole concept in part because, you know, it encourages us, I think, to play a little more loosely and humorously with religious topics, which, you know, many of us who are, are pastors or are used to being, especially in, in Protestant churches, especially white Protestant churches, or tend to be used to a very sort of strict, very often almost dull, if you don't quite know what's happening, very linear structured we'll we use the word reverent i have other words other than reverent but you know <laughs> this this kind of very rehearsed and and very form driven way of doing religion and i feel like humor invites us to break out of that a little bit and to go a little bit deeper and so you know i really have to say that i appreciate uh, your game as part of that sort of larger way of exploring faith and spirituality i mean we're also like just bible nerds so like the, the the humor part is like so huge for us but then also um we we say that part of the game is not just the cards itself but also like our blogs so we have these card talks which we feel are is integral to the game so as people are arguing about you know what's funny or what's blasphemous or both and both work um we hope that folks also go back to our website and look at our our take on the card, like what we were thinking about, you know, and the biblical nerdity that we apply to giving a little bit of exegesis or, you know, a little sermon on what we thought about your God being unable to hear you because he's off taking a bleep in the bushes. Like, we, like when, we, we, when we came across that passage and we were like thinking deeply about that in like in first Kings, it was like, huh, there's a lot of poop humor in this <laughs> passage. And then we like did some more dig digging and realized, wait, there's a lot of poop humor all over like the Hebrew Bible, specifically targeting Baal. And I was like, well, we've, we've got to play with that for a while. That's just a great idea. I love that. So one of the things that I, the blog is incredible. It's one of the things I really enjoy reading. And it, it encourages me to look at passages of the Bible that I um, overlook. So we've talked a little bit about the Revised Common Lectionary on the podcast before. How has addressing these off overlooked pericopies of scripture influenced your own faith or those of people who play the game or around you, other creators? So, I mean, uh, speaking for just myself, like not speaking for all the other creators, just for myself. I mean, being, I was raised in the church um, and I knew that I grew up asking questions about a lot of these passages of scripture and either got not the best answers or you'll figure it out when you get older was the sort of the answer. Um, and then going to seminary and seminary was life-giving when deeper answers to these questions were given that didn't fit into, you know, that mold that John was talking about before, like that mold of just give a respectable answer and everything will be fine. We're going to talk about the documentary hypothesis and maybe Moses didn't write, you know, these, these passages of scripture. It's like, <gasps> and like other people in the room are gasping and I'm going, yes, this makes so much more sense now. Yeah. Um, and so like the quote unquote contradictions or the things that don't fit together so perfectly, the gospels not being harmonized so well, getting answers for those things and digging deeper for me rejuvenated my faith. It was like, like everything suddenly makes so much more sense and the Bible became a more beautiful document when I wasn't trying to explain away all the things that were quote unquote contradictions or ugly. Like it just made it better for me. So then, you know, flash forward a little bit, we started creating this game. That was also in the back of like my mind in particular of let's do that for other people. Like let's tackle some of these passages of scripture that are 
either completely overlooked, which gives like this sanitized, disgusting, as far as I'm concerned, view of the Bible, because like the whole of human experience is captured within these 66 and more books. When we start sanitizing it and cutting out the parts that we don't like or explaining away the difficult parts, we're, we're bastardizing the experiences of communities that have gone before us. And we're also destroying our own experiences. So like, not to rant, but like the idea that there is that one Psalm, Psalm 88, which we come back to all the time, that doesn't have this turn back towards praise. Like all the other Psalms, God, everything is terrible, but we'll praise you still. And Psalms 88 just is like, God, everything is broken. It's your fault. Dead silence. And it's like, okay, yes, I have felt that way. I know other people have felt that way. I guess that's not going to make it into the revised common lectionary. That's not going to be preached on Sunday morning. So that was like one of the first cards we wrote for um, this game was putting that in there and like looking at, you know, Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11, like we phrased it being long dead before the Lord answers your prayers. Like, like read the entire thing in context. It's, you know, or like uh, Philippians 4, 13. I think our, our card was something along the lines of making stupid life choices and blaming them on Philippians 4.13. Like we try to like look at these different passages of the scripture and say, hey, they are difficult, they are complicated, but so is faith. So is our lives. So like, let's embrace that and believe that God can handle us being mad at times and we can handle it if it feels like God is mad at us, whether that's accurate or not. That's very powerful. And, you know, I think we can all here appreciate, uh, one, both not knowing what the hell is going on in the Bible, <laughs> even because uh, we all have masters of divinity degrees or higher. <laughs> and so we can all, I think, appreciate kind of looking at something and going, I don't know that this was intended to be a sort of cut and dry literal interpretation of how you should live your life. Maybe it's supposed to provoke some kind of higher contemplation. But also that dive in deeper is so important and also being able to break free of some of those constraints. Because, you know, the, the sanitized version of scripture is also a version of scripture that is structured to tell a particular kind of story, to shoehorn things into a particular kind of story that isn't always life-giving or positive or healing, which is really kind of terrible and unfortunate. I'm curious a little bit about what kind of responses, what kind of reactions you've gotten to the game and its various iterations and the, the very different kinds of releases that you've put out. Oddly, and it's, it's weird to say it this way, oddly positive. Like when we were like beta testing the game, like we actually took it around to different seminaries and we brought in like different pastors and like lady, as well as folks who were like atheist and agnostic and Jewish friends. And we got a pretty good feel from folks, but they were all our friends. So they're all twisted and broken. And they're in seminary, so they're twisted and broken anyway. But we were really expecting to get like this backlash from like conservative Christian circles. It never really came. We were surprised at the number of, and also the demographic, because we, we were thinking, oh yeah, seminary students in their 20s, they'll love this stuff. And kids at Christian colleges. We got so much positive feedback from older folks who had been preaching in churches and clergy for years and they were getting emails from them and they're like, this is great. I'm using this in my sermon. We've, start, we've got emails from folks saying that they've done Bible studies based off of the game, led small groups based off of the game. We actually, some of our first uh, early adopters and like people who were quote unquote evangelizing for us were atheist groups. But that was made more interesting because they were folks who were raised in the church and they were like, we've 
re-engaged with the Bible for the first time in a long time. And it wasn't like a cynical <laughs> look at the Bible sort of way. It was like, oh, someone's like tackling some of the things that gave us pause in the past. And so we're having conversations with our Christian friends. They haven't converted us or anything, but at least we're having those conversations. The other response that I think has been really interesting has been the emails we've gotten from, especially like younger Christians who have read a blog post and just wanted to interact more like heavily on a certain topic. Uh, right now on Google, we ha if you Google, I guess it's either Bible and wet dreams, we're like one of the first three links or something crazy like that that pops up. One, what is happening in churches that like that number of people are Googling wet dreams and Bible. <laughs> but we've actually gotten a bunch of emails from like usually young Christian males, either like teen years or like early college, looking for like advice and counsel because they're like, we, this is what we've heard in our youth groups. And this is what I'm struggling with. And it's like, well, I'm glad I did some pastoral care stuff over the past couple of years because like we weren't expecting this from the game. We do every once in a while get the, uh, the bat crap crazy email from somebody who is like, usually they're swearing at us and saying, God will send you and your family to hell for inventing this game and you will die on the altar of Asherah. And we're like, oh, cool, <laughs> yes, th thanks. Um, God, God bless you. Get back on your meds. But those are actually very few and far between, oddly enough. That really gives me hope for humanity, actually. <laughs> That's the most hopeful, wonderful thing I've heard in a while. <laughs> yeah, for me, it just reminds me of that uh, biblical release valve. Like we've said, the sanitized version of uh, scripture and the understanding of that scripture often tends to, at least for me, stifled me a little bit when I was coming up through the church and being raised in the church. And so taking a different approach, especially when I got into college and taking creative writing courses and engaging with text in like more deeply in a more deep way, I, I fell in love with this game because precisely that's precisely what you do. And it, and it allowed that space to open up and explore and it's really cool that you've gotten such a response like that from many different types of people. I think that's just a really great characteristic of the game. It's opening up a lot of uh, places for folks. So when we were off recording a minute ago, you promised us uh, that you would tell us a little bit about your theology of swearing and how that plays into the game. Yes, the theology of swearing. So when we were first making the game, like, you know, day one, two, and we were like pattering it after um, Cards Against Humanity, it was like, ah, we've got all these crazy things that we can say and swear, swear, swear. And then we stopped and we're like, yeah, no, that's not what we're about. And so we sort of made our theology of swearing, which really is just two points. Whenever we use profanity or vulgarity, it has to either one mirror the, the content of the original passage. So like whoever it was that we're translating in the original language, they were swearing. So whether, you know, Jesus uses a cuss word in the gospels, Paul had a potty mouth, um, you know, Ezekiel, like uh, there's there are a bunch of places where we have either in the Hebrew or the Greek or the Aramaic, the word at the time was profanity or, or vulgarity. So we're just gonna translate it into the modern uh, language as such. The second thing is if the context of the original might not have been a swear, but the best way to translate or transliterate it into like our modern jargon requires more, you know, imagery, more vulgarity, more swearing. So when we're making cards, 
Like we might just like off the top of our heads think, oh, this would be a great place for the F word. Then we take the step back, look at it in the Hebrew or the Greek, um, look at the context of the passage itself and say, does it need to be there? If it doesn't need to be there, we cut it out. If we feel it needs to be there, then we put it in. And that's pretty much our theology of swearing in a nutshell. I like it. I try to imagine what kind of swear words Jesus was saying as he was flipping tables in the temple. There had to be some really good four-letter words in there. I mean, one would, one would hope. I mean, I mean, you know, if you're, you're throwing out an, an antiquated system of oppression, you might want to drop a, you know, a few words that would not be appropriate for polite company, per se. Kind of like the evaluation process, though. I I'm suppose on some level my preaching benefits from not being able to use swear words because it forces <laughs> me to think about how to say other things. Uh, yeah, um, I... Uh, I like that I like that uh, theology of swearing. I've been preaching for six years now, and I've my biggest fear is that I'm going to accidentally swear in a sermon. And <laughs> now that we're live streaming, that it's going to happen, um, and I'm going to have to explain it to people. <laughs> it just means the spirit was moving, right? I mean, that's that's what had happened in that moment. Yes. Uh, the spirit she moves as she wills. <laughs> <laughs> I distinctly remember preaching a sermon in seminary and using the word damn. And the sentence was something like, you better make damn sure. And people's eyes were just like, and, and you know, this is at Emory. You know, it's not like people don't use far worse language regularly on a regular basis. And people's eyes were like saucers, <laughs> just so wide. Like, I can't believe you said that in a sermon. And I'm like, yes, it had an effect. But it also kind of made me take a step back and say, wow, it, it had an effect. Yeah. I mean, that's actually one of the reasons why we like sort of devise the theology of swearing. So like being a nerd again for a moment, like the uh, one of our professors made the statement when talking about Ezekiel's just misogynistic horrible terrible metaphors that are like like they're just harp i mean they're like they're we we have a lot of cards that are based off of ezekiel because it looks like he was on an acid trip but like also some of them are like highly problematic in other ways and i had a prof who explained it by saying well ezekiel was trying and jeremiah are both trying to break through the the malaise of the people using strong words and strong language that would just get into their heads and make them see things in a different way to feel offended so they'd pay attention. And so that was part of devising the theology of swearing. Being, yeah, every once in a while, maybe we have to drop the F-bomb or say the S-word because that is what would communicate best the thought. But also in the back of our minds, it's like, uh, but if we use that word, does it alienate someone? Will they not look at the biblical passage or will they like, think that we're trying to make fun of something instead. So like, yeah, that's that, that push and pull always. But at the same time, like, you know, our card that we use for our theology of swearing is God smearing shit on your face. And then like our card talk for that is like going through to explain shit is the best way to actually translate this word in the moment. And we could have used other words, but here's why we didn't use other words. Cause they wouldn't have been as powerful and yada, yada, yada. And like going through that entire process of saying, I mean, sometimes you've got to say shit. That might be the most holy thing in the moment. Yeah. That's a wonderful line. Got to, got to use shit. Sometimes it might be the holy thing for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to use that in a sermon every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't know. We, I guess in so many ways, I feel like we've sanitized God and made Christianity this delicate thing and this moral code that sort of matches up with some sort of like bizarre 1950s fantasy. 
like when I hear people uh, complain about using God's name in vain, et cetera, it's so rewarding as a pastor to sort of push back on that and say, well, why is OMG, you know, hard for you to hear? What what do you think it means? Let's talk about the third commandment. And I think that's largely because we don't get a lot of good scripture exegesis growing up. The plight of religious education I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole thing. Like a lot of religious education within churches. I mean, I've got, like, I was raised in a church that it felt like, like my joke was always, yeah, it's like, I was going to seminary by the time I was like eight, like I was just raised like, and then I went to seminary and I was like, oh no, like that actually was the church. So I was, okay, they did well by me, but like I've gone to many other churches along the way and have been in either sermons or been in Sunday schools or like adult classes and going, where's the, the meat? Like, where is the, Let's have a deep conversation about the Bible instead of it being, I can't use that phrase. So I'm going to edit that out later. Uh, something one of my co-creators says, how can I rephrase this? Instead of it being just, let's all a bunch of Christians sit around and just like make each other feel good. And that's it without talking deeper about the passage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I've got a friend of mine who I, I do kendo with on the weekends. You know, we hit each other with sticks. So, you know, that's our entire friendship and relationship. But he spent, you know, his entire high school education in a conservative Baptist school in Columbia. And when they were asked to engage the Bible, you know, there was not a lot of critical thinking. It was, you need to use scripture to prove this point. And, you know, they would be sort of asked to just essentially find every Bible passage that supported whatever point they were talking about, whether it was like waiting until marriage or how much should you give to the church and why you should give more <laughs> and all of these sorts of things. And, and you know, they, they were never really asked to think about the poetry of Scripture or even, you know, the deeper ideas that the authors were getting at, the intent of the authors or anything like that. It was always prove this with that. All algebra, no poetry. And the Bible's transactional. It's just to get you from point A to point B. Argue this point, preach this sermon, <laughs> give tithes appropriately, and done. Like, yeah, no, I, I know that one as well. Yes, that was, that was also a part of the church I was raised in. It was like, like you, we did a lot of Bible study, but then also there was very narrow ways of, of looking at the world. So like when I personally like went off to school later on, and then coming back to my church, it was difficult at times. And they still ask me to preach there every once in a while. I'm still not sure why. Like, <laughs> I get up and say things and I'm like, are you, you guys really want me back? Like, are you you're sure about, okay, hey, cool, that's fine. So Ben, you mentioned earlier some sort of new insights that you had gleaned as you were reading some of the material for the new expansion and crafting cards. Can you give us a little glimpse of some of those insights, some of those theological thoughts that you really connected with? So I, largely it was the idea that expanding my understanding of why texts that I haven't read much of, others within the household of faith look at also as just being canon. Like, it, like it, I mean, I, I pick up the book of Daniel or Acts or, you know, Thessalonians. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. But someone else picks up like Tobit or, you know, Bell and the Dragon looking at it in the exact same way. And I just hadn't read those passages before. And so reading through certain things, I was like, oh, yes, this doesn't feel weird or strange. Like it's unfamiliar, but it feels equally inspired. It, it, feels, like it, fit, it feels like it fits in the, with the other books. And I think that was just personally something that was interesting slash refreshing for me, like compared to when I've read like Gnostic texts, 
reading Gnostic texts, I'm like, yeah, no, this is different. Like this is, this is, this, there's, there's a different metaphysic here. There's like the cosmology is very different. The eschatology is like, y'all are playing from a different set of game instructions than everything else. Whereas the deuterocanonical books, I was like, yeah, no, this, I can mess with this. This works for me. Yeah. I kind of would like to see some material from the apocalypse of Peter though, show up at some point. I mean, there is some really <laughs> messed up stuff in there. True that. Uh, As the kids used to say. <laughs> so, Ben, uh, the Bible is hilarious sometimes. Um, is there something from the Bible that always makes you giggle anytime you think about it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So one of the first cards, well, I mean, the two things that always make me laugh whenever I think about them. One of our first cards was David carrying a warm sack of 200 foreskins. And like that one always, <laughs> like the idea that <laughs> Saul said to David, yeah, you can marry my daughter. Just go out and, you know, bring me a hundred foreskins. And David's like, bet, I'm going to bring back 200. <laughs> like, that, just that idea always made me laugh. And then, like, there was some commentary writer or some Christian comedian, they're interchangeable in my mind, said something about, like, he brings them back. And then, like, one of his mighty men was like, David, you could have at least killed the Philistines first. So, like, that idea, like, has always made me chuckle. Another one is when Jesus is walking, one of the times he walks on the water. So when he's with the disciples and he's like, hey, I'm going on the other side. Oh, no, it says to the disciples, you guys go on the other side. I'm going to stay here and pray. And he sends them in their boat and they're, they're gone. And then when he walks on the water and it's the whole Peter situation, he's like, oh, Lord, let me come out to you and blah, blah, blah. The part that makes me chuckle is that there's like, you know, little tiny line which says he meant to pass them by. But seeing that they were troubled, he stopped and like, you know, went to help them and all that. The image that he intended to walk by them, that they were gonna get across the water and find Jesus already on the other side with a fire going. And just the looks on their faces when they're like, well, we left you, did we got caught in the storm? But what did, did we get turned around? Did we end up on the same shore? Just like, like in my mind, like either the, the writer was inspired by God divinely to just have that one little clause in there so that people like me could read that passage and go, Jesus was gonna walk by them and they were gonna freak out. That is amazing. I love it. That makes me laugh every time I think about it. I love it. That's incredible. Have you ever thought about doing some sort of visual card component? Uh, this is gonna be my crackpot suggestion as a game player. Just as we were talking about uh, funny images from the Bible. Whenever I preach, I try to look up, uh, just as a reception history kind of practice, uh, how art has portrayed whatever scripture I'm preaching on throughout time. And um, for the Jesus flipping tables in the, the temple one, I found this amazing picture of Jesus flipping like the tiniest little footstool over, but with like fierce anger. And every time I look at it, I printed it out, put it on my computer, just with the caption, like, what is this, a table for ants? <laughs> <laughs> sort of like the what do you meme of, uh, a, good, yeah. of a good game for Christians. <laughs> reinvented something. Um. There you go. Well, that sounds amazing. One of, yeah, no, one of the creators is, is a graphic designer. So we've talked, we've had ideas but they've, none of them have come to fruition. At one point we were thinking about putting like images on the cards, like sort of in that vein, um, or at least on some of the cards. And then we realized that's gonna cost more money than we realized. And so that idea got scrapped at first, but yeah, then yeah. that was originally, we were thinking of that. Um, but since then it's been, it's been one of those back burner ideas that just hasn't come back up again. 
Thank you so much for being here with us today. Especially on such short notice. Yes. You know, I think I yeah. did you what on Saturday and then we were set up for this today. It felt like a reach because we're huge fans of yours and <laughs> your whole team and the game. And it, it means a lot to us, especially in this time when so much is really, really serious and <laughs> stressful and we're all just kind of like trying to make it through. Yeah, so we end each week with one final question and that is... Very simply, what is bringing you joy right now? If you were looking at your magical mind palace and you were going to Marie Kondo it, what would you keep in your life? I would say, uh, well, two things. One, uh, this conversation, like, honestly, uh, it's, it's, this has been great. I mean, it's, it's not just like, you know, talking about the game, but whenever I get to, you know, nerd out about biblical things, like, that's always, it's always great for me. It's wonderful. And similar to that, I am a teacher, like, you know, my, my real life, that's one of the things. And uh, working with my kids in the midst of everything being as crazy and garbage as it is right now, they continue to bring me joy on a daily basis. Well, God bless you for that, because I know it is an insane and tough and challenging job, especially since so many school districts are changing their standards and policies in response to various kinds of adjustments that that are happening with COVID and with all of the other maelstrom of stuff that's going on. So kudos on that. What about you guys? What's bringing you joy? Can I also say this conversation? <laughs> um, uh, we're, we're staying with my mother in Atlanta for a week and get some stuff done and hang out with her. And uh, we have a giant 118 pound Pyrenees and she has a little Chawini. Um, so really, <laughs> this isn't very intellectual at all, as per usual for my what's giving me life. But seeing her tiny Chewiwi interact with our enormous dog is hysterical and giving me life. Today uh, is my anniversary, uh, four years. So with, uh, with my we married Garrett and his wife, not in an Old Testament sort of way, but in a in an official. We're, we're all one big family now. <laughs> um, Maybe you can, that, that could be another expansion, like the weird, weird kind of laws you got going on in there. Um, but no, uh, today's the anniversary, so that's been fun. Uh, it's been a mix of work and goofing off. Discovering my dog loves area rugs. He just has an immense love for them. Um, and we got a new one. And not even five seconds did we like put it down on the floor. Like he was already on it and like asleep. So just... Uh, just a random, random fun fact about my dog. He he loves his area rugs, so. I feel like if we got a new area rug, our dog would sit very specifically beside it. Not on it. Never on it. Just beside it. She's a weirdo. As you can see right now. Nice area rug. Okay. Right. And one and one prima donna dog on it, so. <laughs> We're really succeeding at this audio medium. Yeah. Right. Like I said, the Patreon is going to have all of the recorded ones. And, you know, like that $1 tier is going to be all of the terrible outtakes. Mm, we delete <laughs> the video immediately after. <laughs> yeah, I think what's bringing me joy right now is just all the goofy, zany distractions that I have in various ways. You know, we talked a little bit about the other day about how uh, I am prepping for next year to start section hiking the AT. Uh, and that is still on my mind. So shopping for camp stoves has been surprisingly regenerating for me. Nice, nice. 
That's cool. Ben, if people want to find a Game for Good Christian uh, and associated products, et cetera, <laughs> where can they go to find that? www.agameforgoodchristians.com. Excellent. Um, we'll include that in the show notes, that link. And uh, we highly recommend anybody who hasn't played to go ahead and buy that. It makes a great Christmas gift or Thanksgiving gift, anniversary yes. present. Okay. Well, gift. Um, yeah, we're going to have to rebuy it. I haven't told John this yet, but after we went camping with a bunch of other theologians, uh, it came back in a cooler bag and is kind of soaked. So <laughs> we'll be rebuying. I'm crushed, and you chose this moment to tell me. <laughs> I figured you couldn't kill me in front of Ben Christian. <laughs> True. Well played. Well played. Ben, thank you again. Um, and uh, yeah, here ends the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the reading. Any any final closing thoughts? Literally just like went mentally blank. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I have nothing profound right now. No. <laughs> it's, it's all good. <laughs> I just can't remember how we end the podcast. <laughs> Neither can I. It's been so long for me. You know, um, you know, go out to read your Bibles. I don't know. That'd be strange to end to do. Usually <laughs> we just say thanks, guys, for listening and wrap it up.